Good evening, everybody, and welcome to our sixth episode uh, of the podcast um, with me, Andy Crossley, and Nick Latoccia tonight. Hey, Nick. Hi. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Good. I think we're, we're both a bit exhausted uh, and overwhelmed from two weeks of the CDO exchange at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. So in between all the normal Teams calls, there's been zoom zoom meetings of round tables and presentations and, and sessions so yeah it's been a, it's been an intense week yeah you you've been being sold to as a punter and i've been trying to put on my uh, most smiley face and uh, smartest at home working clothes to uh, impress people on the other side of the fence most of the time so it's been pretty full on but what has there been anything that's stood out anything that you've learnt uh, new from the from the world of the CDO. Um, so, yeah, there was a couple of really good um, panel discussions um, around um, diversity and inclusion, uh, around the CDO role, um, around the first uh, first one hundred days. So, um, yeah, lots of really good stuff. A, a main focus on data governance, which kind of links in with our previous podcast, which mm. was which was nice to see. Um, but but yeah, it was it was enjoyable. Uh, plus, I I hosted a roundtable this year, which was a first for me. Cool. Did uh, did people believe you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. There, there was some some agreement, some nodding, some, <laughs> some discussion. So uh, I must must know a little bit about data at least. Good. It's a good test, probably. I I, I definitely agree with the um, uh, data governance draw actually that was that was rising to the top again um i had some really good conversations with with um potential clients which was a nice change rather than people sitting there with their arms <laughs> folded and go i don't really know why i'm here so um but talk, talking of cdos uh this week we have somebody that i don't think really needs much introduction um she is a, a, an early advocate and, and promoter of the role of the cdo um she is is famous for now a number of books and publications on on the role of the CDO, um, and um, I, I think I can say this. She's going to tell me whether I whether it's not allowed. But um, we we worked with her way back when when she was um, in Network Rail, um, doing some of this CDO malarkey uh, uh, early um, early back in the day. So I'd like to welcome Caroline Carruthers with us tonight. Hey, Caroline. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Hi, Nick. Good, thank you. And obviously, um, I, it's absolutely allowed. I do remember when we worked together in Network Real, and it was awesome. Yes, it feels like a very long time ago now. I mean, you, you've uh, you've launched summer schools, three books, I think it is. Um, uh, had had Peter Jackson be the CDAO, uh, come and go, have three different jobs in the same time as as launching Caroline Crothers as well. <laughs> well, you know, we don't we don't sit in our laurels around here. We we swim quite fast. Uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, so, um, yeah, welcome um, to, to this. It's a shame that we're not doing it over a, a glass of wine or a beer, which is uh, usually when you and I have had our chats in the past. Um, so I hope you have one in hand tonight. I, I have um, a gin. We're doing okay. Nice. <laughs> I've, I've actually de- um, resorted to port tonight because we've run out of beer. Um, so I've gone, I just need like a smoking jacket and a pipe or something. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, I guess usual welcomes aside, and I think most people will will know you for CDO Playbook um, and um, CDO Playbook Two now, 
um, and the uh, data-driven transformation uh, publications. But um, I'm not sure that many people know your your route to where you've got to today and your sort of your history through the world of data. So um, enlighten us. Um, tell us a bit about where you've you've originally come from on this journey. Wow, that's a big question. I mean, I feel like I can start with the dawn of the dinosaurs with that big equipment. No, <laughs> quite that far back. Um, I actually have quite an eclectic mix, an eclectic background, probably because um, I've got a really short attention span and I'm insanely curious. So mm-hmm. I'm trying different things because it looks fun. So I started off um, a long time ago on the TSB graduate scheme. And it was a bit like being in the IT crowd. So we literally <laughs> were in a basement in this room in London. And that was my sort of very first, what I would call proper job mm-hmm. at university. Um, and I've always been a self-style nerd. I've always loved technology. I've always loved what I could do. You know, the programming gambit was second nature to me. Um, and it kind of, that's where it all started from. I think what really, really compelled me is I I just like solving problems. I think that's what drives me more than anything else. And I just kept looking for bigger and bigger problems to solve. So it actually all started with IT and solving IT problems and going through your coding analyst, project manager, et cetera. And it's what it did then is give me a really good grounding in that kind of structure and frameworks. Um, But it was for me the dawning realization that it didn't matter how much IT I fixed or how much technology I changed. We weren't really getting to the root of the problems that we were facing because the root of the problems all came from the data. So, and it's that point that I kind of joined what I would call the light side from the technical side um, and really start focusing on the data. But because I've been a CIO as well as a CDO, I think it gives me this unique view across the breadth of it of you know the the role they play together and how they should work together and and through those roles i'm guessing you've seen and i'm I'm seeing this a bit at the moment but differing um not perspectives but um you've you've now got like data teams or data directorates or data divisions as well as you know more traditional it functions i i think um, I find it quite interesting, and I know we, we've touched upon it maybe a few times just when we've been sitting chatting over a beer. Um, what I'm finding interesting at the moment is that over the past couple of years, while we've been talking about being data leaders and really putting a focus on it, I'm still seeing a lot of CIOs being handed the hot potato that is data because the rest of the business don't know what to do with it. So I'm working at the minute with a lot of CIOs who have been given this, well, you need to do something with data because we don't know who else to do it. And they're not sure how to start. And actually, it's either, what I'm finding is it's either the CFO or the CIO in organizations that don't have a chief data officer or a director of data who know they need to do something. There's definitely a growing awareness that something has to happen. But because it's not an area that they're experienced in, they're not quite sure what that first step looks like. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask this massive question because they still then bring us down into various rabbit holes, I'm sure. But um, 
is the first step for them to go and recruit a CDO? In a lot of cases, no, because I think, you know, there are different flavors of CDO. There's different, you know, we, we talk about first generation, second generation. Um, in a lot of cases, the organization needs at least an awareness of what kind of CDO it needs. So ordinarily, um, I talk about, you know, they, they kind of need their pirates map. So they at least, lead, at least need an idea about where they're starting from, where they're intending to head, and actually what the level of their ambition looks like, because then they can have some honest conversations with chief data officers and figure out how good that matches. So give us an example. Do you mean like... Uh, I, I, Sometimes I hear it as an overused, misunderstood phrase, but data-centric or data-driven or you know, data as an asset, where I think it's it's used as a bit of a throwaway. People don't really know what it means to them or it's to their organisation. Yeah, I think I've seen exactly the same thing. Um, lots of business strategies have lines like, we're going to be a data-driven organisation. <laughs> And, and, you know, the very first question has to be, what, what does that mean? What does that look like for you? How's that going to make you any different from how you are now? Um, and it's to do, you know, they, they need a constructive friend, a challenging friend who can hawk and prod statements like that um, to help, under, you know, to get to the, what are they actually trying to get to it? Is it just trendy because everybody else has a CDO? So, hey, we should have one too. Um, or actually are they starting to look at how they can realign their business and genuinely get value from an asset that they're wasting at the moment? Because if I remember back in Network Rail, one of the key drivers was actually corporately or organisationally, it was because information was placed pretty near the top of the risk register. Yeah, we managed to get uh, the data problem, you know, the data risk, coalesced risks or all the, the risks put together on data um, in a hierarchy, and it was one of the top five risks that drove Network Rail at the time. Yeah, so I guess that gave some focus and drive, some impetus to, you can almost you know, hide, well not hide, do a, do a lot of data stuff behind that as a fixation by the board of of doing some good with data, right? Well, I'm a big fan of never wasting a good crisis. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like there's plenty of those in the world of data, um, often. <laughs> yeah, when should you be done? Yes. Um, uh, we, we've talked a bit about that before as well, that um, I, I'm seeing, I'd be interested in Nick's view from a, actually uh, in the business sort of performing that type of role, but quite a different set of perspectives now emerging from a, do we need a CDO or do we not? And, and quite a mix of, no, we don't. Um, to yes, we definitely do, and that's the first thing they're sort of chasing. But actually, a growing awareness of almost forget the title. What, what is it? Uh, what are the roles and responsibilities that we need at that senior level to drive the data agenda? And that might be rolled up into a role. It may be a team. It may be a mix of um, teams or, or whatever. But that that awareness has been a big change for me. Uh, I, I've seen in the last couple of years i think mm -hmm. yeah it, it's it's a really good question and a really good point because as as caroline said you don't always want a cdo at the start because you don't know what type of cdo you would need uh to to play out what you're trying to do so do we 
build out a chief data office with some senior data people that can play the different roles the CDO might have to play uh, until we get to the point where um, you know uh, we're, we're, we've nailed down what what we need from a from a chief data office. Um, but kind of just throwing that back to you, Caroline, if if you are working with an organization and they know they want to exploit data, but they're in the early stages, um, they don't quite know what they want to do and they, they shouldn't really hire a CDO, how would they get started? Well, there's a lot of resources out there. I mean, obviously, it, it would be pretty stupid if I didn't mention that, you know, there's plenty of resources like me and Andy and other people out there who genuinely want to help organizations move forward. Um, so that's a good starting point. You know, we've got things like the Chief Data Officer Summer School that we're taking a lot more um, people outside the data sphere onto. Um, the community at large, there's a lot to do there. So there's a lot, you know, resources, books. It's like any other topic when you're starting off for the first time. There's plenty of resources when you start and look. And I'm, I'm always a big fan of taking a first step. It doesn't have to be life-changing. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, costing millions and all your assets and resources, but it has to be a step. And then that way you'll figure out if you're actually on the right road or not. I mean, I'm hearing that more and more of, of um, pe- people are just accepting that uh, sort of in the world of data, that's, you know, that's everything from tech that underpins it to governance, to people, to skills, to, um, you know, you, you name it, almost the sort of full stack, and I don't mean technical stack, but all, every data component people that are more involved in that are, are coming to the realization of making a decision is better than making no decision and, and make a start and who, you know, not who cares if you fail, but make that failure quick and learn from it. I know it's a overused sort of agile methodology cliche, but I think too, too often people are, because the data thing is so huge and so intertwined and so, pervasive in a lot of certainly the bigger more complex organizations it very quickly just gets to ah it's too big and too complex and goes into the too hard pile and then actually they start to default to oh sod it we'll just buy a new system yeah and if we've learned um, anything, we need we need a new crm yeah right, I was going to say, if we've learned anything from the last year and don't get me wrong i mean it's been a horrendous year but for me i can't help being optimistic it's just in my DNA. So because we've had a horrendous year, for me, I've got to find something positive in it. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? And our IT colleagues last year did the impossible. They did things in two weeks that would have ordinarily taken six months, a year, two years to do. They did it with a lot of finesse. But partly it was because a lot of businesses got the point of good enough was good enough. It wasn't about having everything on your wish list. It was about making sure you could just cope the next day at home and do your job. Mm. And, you know, I think from a data space, that, that there's two things there for me. One is, is that we've got over the whole perfection as a disease issue of good enough is good enough sometimes. So can we work on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other yeah. side is because of the leaps and bounds that IT made. And don't get me wrong, the data colleagues were all there with them doing it. But what it did was expose some of the underinvestment in thought that had been put into the data space. Mm. That's interesting. 
and as a result, I think that's driving a lot of what we're seeing now as well. Do you mean like in in terms of exploring the art of the possible for things and like you say, the good enough of good enough, I can turn something out in you know six weeks. It doesn't need to take six months. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, things like, you know, data quality is always a topic that we get, we get picked up on. And some organisations are still having conversations with where they, you know, they think they've got to have 100% data quality. Well, they might as well try and boil the ocean. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what is good enough look like for you? Actually, which bits do you need to boil? You know, pick a pan up and focus on that part. Does that mean something to you? But the rest of the ocean could just stay at room temperature, thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's the same with governance, right? We talked to Nicola Ascom last week. Um, and uh, you know, similar sort of approach of not not all data needs to be governed in the same way. So which bits need tight um, controls and, and like super, super governed versus minimum viable governance. Um, and I think yeah, similar to the data qualities of one often gets put up. But I think also with some of the um, like data products that come out the uh, the end of the pipeline, if you like, um, people would often default to creating dashboards I always, always pick that one as a, as a non-techie, but dashboards that have got everything on it. It's like, oh, hang on, that A, that's going to take us a long time to build. B, you're going to critique it all and actually just throw it back at us. Why don't we just put two things on the dashboard to start with? Because that'll take us three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then add a bit, like a widget at a time or a new bit of data at a time, because every time we do that, we've still got to do the engineering. And if you want us to do it all, the engineering is going to take six months alone. Yeah, and actually... You know, it's helping organisations understand, you know, how timely do you want this? Because data from a month ago might be a complete waste of your time. Mm. Mm. So why why would you bother? Why not focus on getting, like you say, two things, but getting them today? Yeah, agreed. And and with that sort of stuff, is that, um, well, yeah, those examples, are they things that, uh, from a CDO's perspective, do you think there are things that CDOs are still getting wrong from your yeah from what you see from from sort of businesses and CDOs that you talk to, or are there other gotchas? I I guess what I'm trying to say that you're seeing that you know uh, head in your hands. Yeah, I wish CDOs would stop doing that. That's the wrong thing to do. I think it's um it's not necessarily just CDOs, but data people. I'd probably say, and and I, we touched upon this just when we were chatting before, but um. One of my personal bugbears is how we just seem to try and overcomplicate everything. You know, we're having arguments about whether a chief data officer is the same as a director of data, or should we be using datum, not data, or, you know, to be perfectly frank, who cares? Mm-hmm. It, it's not like there's not enough things for us to be worrying about and trying to figure out and problems to solve. <laughs> when we're arguing about semantics, and we might care about whether we're using data or data, but I'll guarantee CFO doesn't. Uh, you said you said that just before, and I said, remind me when you say that because you made me make a note. And I think your your, your reference there to the bigger picture is an interesting one. Um, me and Nick have talked a bit about this in terms of the like the, the to do list that Nick has as a data leader in his role. Um, and I think it's interesting sort of seeing the balance between. Yeah, you need the bigger picture, you need the vision, you need the actually where are we trying to get to. But you also need, back to what we were just talking about, you need the hands-on, 
you know, solve solve a little problem one at a time, but really quick. Uh, and sometimes they're, you know, I've seen, we were talking about a consultancy that will rename, rename unmet named uh, prior to this, but you get that sort of 30,000 foot view and the board would all nod along, but you don't get anything below it. And it's like all the actual data people in the organization going, now what? We've still got all this crap over here to, we've got to solve. Um, and, and everybody's <laughs> looking at the 40 page slide deck that's being produced that doesn't really tell us anything. And it's interesting, uh, I guess, from my point of view, you, you, I think I get what you mean, but like the bigger picture, I think sometimes some people lose then the detail of what we've got to solve by focusing too much on the bigger picture, if that makes sense. It makes, it makes perfect sense. And I completely see where you're going with it. And when I'm talking about the bigger picture, I'm, I guess part of that for me is where this all fits into a business or an organization, because if you, don't understand the purpose and if you don't understand actually what value you derive from this then kind of what's the point um i'm not a big fan of just collecting data for the sake of it i'd like to know why what you know what are we trying to get to i might not have to have that answer right now but i need to know why i'm putting effort into a certain area um and so and i really do completely get the whole you need to give the organization examples of what they're going to get out of changing behavior, what they're going to get out of doing something. There has to be the, something tangible. And I, I know, and um, Nick's been on summer school, so I know he's heard me witter on about this loads, but you have to be able to go back to an organization and explain what's in it for them. And if you're talking to the CFO, it's what's in it for them personally, not the company, not their department, but them. If you're speaking to somebody on the front line, what's in it for them and if you can convey that and if you can win that hearts and minds battle then actually you make your life a lot easier it's, it's funny you say that we were talking to a client the other day and the the ch- challenge we're trying to solve is around a contact center person because they've got different systems to go in and out of uh, you know where they're looking at a, a customer record uh, and the details that sit behind that and the, the data problem is quite complicated but obviously they don't give a give two hoots about that it, it was all about well, what what's going to make your life easier and the fact that you can log on to one page and you see all the client details first and you haven't got to go searching around and that you know the particular client organization their environment can be quite high stress so they get calls from people that are in um in distress and asking for help and you know, you're trying to search for client information that is all over the place and then uh, speak to engineers that might be going out and, and it's like if I could put that all on one screen so all you've got to do is get the person's name and off you go how would that you know what would that make you feel and they're like that would just change my world and make my life so much easier and that becomes the business case for that individual um, and it was really quite uh, heartwarming I guess see we, we've just we've just solved a data project they don't see it like that they've just made their life easier but it's a real world example of um, you know, doing the uh, doing the data project in the background to help that individual, which was quite cool. It's made a difference. You've, you've made a real difference. You solved a problem. They don't need yeah. to know you're solving it by using data. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Nick, you must have to face into that all the time in terms of your 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 stuck stuck between. That sounds horrendous. Um, caught between the, the board and sort of reporting up in terms of investment and what do we do, but also the business like calling out to you with requirements and 
yeah, we want to do this, we want to do the other. Um, yeah, how, how do you face into that? So for, for the first time, um, I've actually had a comms person in in our team that can start to think about how we sell basically what we've just been talking about, what's in it for for the for the end user, what's in it for everyone in the organization. Um, and we're able to start to craft those messages in a really clear and understandable way rather than, you know, maybe a, a data scientist trying to convince a, a business user that this, you know, neural network is going to change their life. So that's really, <laughs> that's really made a massive difference. Um, and that expertise of communications allowed us to build stories and campaigns of messages that um, are really, you know, um, landing well with people. So you know, that, that that's just one thing that I think it's just taking that that problem and, and trying to solve it in a different way. Um, and then from from a board perspective, I think that's that's the, another challenge of how do you convey those messages of the importance of data and and how you're gonna transform the organization um, when they're kind of they're kind of interested in the the, the difference that you're gonna make and and, and um, the benefits that you're gonna drive um, so it's it's two different challenges um, but you've got to try and juggle them both at the same time yeah and it's, it's a yeah, we, we use the term, and I've heard other people sort of um, utilize it in, in the more broader change aspects of, of data projects is, is around doing bits by stealth. Um, I think because it is so pervasive and it touches you know, every existing forum or committee or council or whatever, you could argue needs a data person in it. And actually, rather than just creating a new um, data forum or data council, or I think that has, has a role. That's probably a separate conversation. But starting to find the um, the data advocate in each of those functions, functions are a word, but teams. It's like you say, Caroline. That's how you get some get some momentum um, and get some interest and get some buy in and get some excitement about stuff. Especially if they're that organisation's at a relatively low maturity starting point. And, you know, it's amazing what people learn in their spare time. There's one organization I worked with recently, incredibly small charity. Um, you know, we just asked some simple question. It turns out that three of their staff in a completely different part of the organization, they just taught themselves Python. So it's sort of like, could we just borrow you for a little bit, please? Um, so, it, you know, I feel a bit biblical, but asking you shall receive. Yeah. Yeah. But don't you find that with like, um, uh, trying to think of, of the right role title, but we, we've been in places before where you've got individuals that are doing quite a, I guess, to the rest of the business is seen as quite a low level role. Um, and they've been, because, because they're, I guess, involved in lots of little bits, they, A, they know what's going on. So they've got a really good sense of the context uh, uh, of the organization and when it comes to like then using data um, they interpret it in a way that other people can't because they see the context of the business which is massively powerful um, 
but also we've stumbled across a bit similar to you, like not, not necessarily Python, but we stumbled across what I would call statisticians or, or analysts. And I don't mean um, they've necessarily taught themselves Python, but just how they look at data and they, uh, they can play with data and manipulate it, even if it's just in Excel, but at least you've got something you can build on. And we, we've tapped into a couple of really quite junior people before where uh, they've been doing stuff in Excel, but you look at what they've done, and whilst the calculations might not be that wow, um, how they're pulling different data sets together to interpret what's going on in the ground, you're like, I can work with that. You know, come this way and let us teach you some real skills to do that data. And then they can go back in the business, and it might still be let, like low level technically, but they then start to engage the team around them in how you use data differently, which then, again, creates the snowball effect. That really comes when they've got some kind of real understanding of the business and the area that they're working in. And ordinarily, I'm with you there, ordinarily it's the more junior people because they have to find out that nobody's going to do it for them. They're not going to be able to use a relationship to have something delivered to their desk. So they have to understand where stuff's coming from, where it's going, what's happening to it. So they, they take the time and they're curious about it. And if you can get someone with that level of curiosity, they're worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. Completely agree. And, and do you think, um, so we, we talked quite a bit about what I guess CDOs are still getting wrong, what organisations are getting wrong with CDOs. You know, Nick, Nick's just touched on it there about a, a sort of guidance on that like interim or we're not sure about CDOs, so how do we get started? Have, have, you, have you sort of come across any particularly... Um, I guess, really good examples of either a, a CDO or how an organization has set up that sort of broader data capability and go, you know, if I was to pick on an exem- exemplar, that would be it. I think if I didn't mention legal in general at some point in time... I, I, I was just <laughs> about to say, and you can't pick legal yeah, in general. I don't feel Peter's spirit there, Gwen Caroline. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm still struggling to see a CDO who's got CDO who's got it all right, but I'm seeing a lot of organisations who are doing some really interesting things and how they're doing it. So it's going to sound a little odd, but some of the African banks are doing some really interesting things. But for me, I'm, I think that they're doing it because they're not tied up with some of the legacy we've had to deal with. Mm. So they're, they're making leapfrogs. Um, you know, they're, they're jumping over hurdles that we face because they were quite far behind to start with. So, um, you know, you've got, uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I'm sorry, I'm, my memory is so awful. But there's one particular bank down there um, pulling in a lot of external data as well as what they currently have about their customers. And they're giving personalised reports to their customers on the current state of their finances, what could happen market-wise going forward and what recommendations are them, and it's all tailored. And is that, is that as you say, they're not uh, restricted because of legacy systems or legacy process or or they're just that attitude to, like the can-do attitude? Well, it's, it's, they're not restricted because of a lot of the legacy technology. They, they were so far behind that by, you know, not going through some of the iterations of technology we have, They've just kind of come bang up to date. Yeah, we, we've said this before, haven't we, Andy, about those kind of newer or startup organisations that 
are hiring CDOs straight off the bat and really pushing their data transformation because they don't have that legacy um, burden around the necks. And then you've got, you know, older organizations that they've got lots of stuff to unpick before they can move to the cloud and, and adopt some of these new tools and technologies. So it becomes uh, a lot, a lot harder for them. Um, and I think, uh, you know, my organization has been along for a long, around for a long time. And that's one of the, the main challenges is that, we, you know, we've done everything this way for, for a while now, and, and that change is difficult. So I think that's one of the one of the challenges around the CDO is how the organization's legacy affects that. Mm. And let's not forget, a lot of that legacy isn't just the technical legacy. It's the legacy, it's the attitude, it's the behavioral legacy that comes with them. You know, I always say that changing technology is 10 times easier than changing someone's attitude. Yes, completely. We, we have multiple sort of organizations we work with where that's the biggest, not blocker, because you, you, yeah, it's, it's just something to work with, but well, we've always done it that way, or well, we have to produce that report because the business asks us to. So, well, do you think that report's the best report for them? Not really, no. Well, why don't you change it then? Well, because that's not what they asked for. Well, have you ever thought about putting something in front of them that you think might be better? Well, I can't do that. Um, and it just almost, uh, I guess the, the the fear of sort of going and showing them the art of the possible, or you know, you, you, we're we're the data experts. Let us uh, either repurpose that or redesign it. Or you do know if I just add this this other data set, I can give you a much richer picture. But they're almost afraid because the business hasn't asked for it. Um, but we we touched upon curious curiosity as a skill earlier. In a, in a lot of cases, I mean, I was talking to someone recently and they were a senior director in a bank and they'd been getting the same report every Monday since, you know, for the last two years. Um, and they needed it and it was useful to them. But they were literally stunned when the week before the person who created those report, reports mm-hmm. happened to be in the lift with them at the same time. <laughs> now, bear in mind, the beginning of it for two years, same person writing it every week for two years, stood in the lift and went, oh, why do you want that report? Yeah. Two years it asked them to ask that question. I think it's... Why, why would that be the starting point? I, I, think, I think it's more scary when um, when you get it the other way, when the, the, the receiver says, oh, no, that report you've produced is wrong. And, and, and I've heard this plenty of times. What do you mean it's wrong? So it's, the data's wrong. <laughs> No, no, the data's right. Yeah, but it's telling me the wrong thing. Okay, what, what, are, you, what are you asking me to do here? Um, I, I think that's a, from an educational and data literacy point of view. Um, you know, people say that they're driven by data, but they're, they're ultimately still driven by their gut. And if the data doesn't tell them what they think or what they believe, they change it. Yeah. No, um, and that, I think that's a bigger barrier than the other way, actually. It, it is, but it's... Again, I think that comes back to what you started with on wouldn't it just be better to have two right things than 30 not so right things? Well, but a lot of the times, if you, if that's a situation where they don't believe all of it, well, pick, pick the one thing you do believe and let's work on that. And, and start that. 
is a lot of the time I find that when I'm talking to people who go, well, that, you know, it's not right. It's that idea of the fear of data. Well, I can't be exposed. I can't not know what I'm doing. Yeah. So if you can get them over that hurdle, then actually they can become massive big advocates for the data. Yes. But you do have to get them over that hurdle and, and take time. And actually by sometimes stroking the ego, playing on the bits that they do agree with, you can start them on that journey. Yeah, I think that's a really good point around, um, yeah, I, I use the word fear, but the sort of, I don't want to be exposed. And, and I think it's, see, I, I, I think that's a really quite important aspect of the role of the CDO or office of the CDO or whatever we want to call it. But I guess helping the, the organisation um, feel fear, fearless with data uh, and, and sort of break that down. Yeah, and go, look, if it, if it tells you a picture you weren't aware of or you thought that's, you know, I thought it was better than it is, that's okay. We can work with that because actually now that helps us understand where we need to improve. And I think people are often, like you say, sort of see it as how I've been caught out. That, that shows I don't, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. 100%. 100%. Whereas actually what you need to do is help them understand that what it you know come back to what's in it for them what can they get out of it it's not about forcing them in any way shape or form it's actually about taking some of their knowledge and experience yes. and just enhancing it yeah and i heard uh, i can't remember where it was but but still people um you know don't lose the gut feel but but bring the data with it and sort of combine the two because often you still want the individual to make the final call and the data's there to inform that well, if you think about what gut feel is, all gut feel is, is a collection of our experiences where we can predict what's happening based on something that's already happened. Isn't there like a machine that does that quite fast? And about it? You know, so why should we discount the human equivalent of that? Yes, AI can do it much, much faster than we can, but that doesn't mean it's always necessarily better. So I'm with you. For me, the absolutely perfect way of using that is that the, the final call should be the experience but it should be based on using all the data and um information and th- th- they, they have access to mm. but I, I think that comes back to the context thing i've heard a senior manager before say i know the dashboard and i, I you know the output or the report or whatever don't disagree with it but i know that when you know, this happens, it might be something as simple as, you know, when Bob's off, this doesn't work. Great. Okay. Well, that's not codified anywhere. So how, because you know that and the data's not responding or showing that, how do we codify the fact that Bob's off? So we can, we can now add that bit of data into it because we're, we're using your experience. Yes. Or find out why it doesn't work when Bob's off and what's Bob doing when he's there. Well, in, in, indeed. Yes. Um, Bob is often critical. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Nick, I'd be interested in how, given what your your organisation does, my guess here would be that there's quite a lot of people, certainly on the shop floor and in the supply chain part, who who operate in that sort of way, do they? Um, Yes, Uh, there's there's a lot of... um... There's, there's, a, there's a lot of gut feel and a lot of experience, um, especially uh, especially given that supply chains are complex things um, and 
the the data only tells uh, some of the story. So you've, you've got to use a mixture of uh, what the data is telling you and, and your experience uh, and, and apply it like that. Um, and you, you know, you get the the classic, oh, those numbers don't feel right, comment and and that kind of stuff. That you know, but it's trying to drill down and understand. Well, why don't they feel right? What what from your experience says that that's not right? Um, and and that's where it becomes difficult because it's a feeling. It's you know, they don't have anything in there that's saying uh, it's it's because of X Y Z. It's how do you how do you decode that feeling of the numbers, which is difficult? I was going to say, for me, I think it is. It's really healthy to try and challenge it and look at that. But in a lot of cases, it's the feeling comes from somewhere. But again, taking back to right to the back to the start of the conversation, you kind of need to try and take a step and see if that's where the feeling's coming from. Because that's the only way you're going to figure it out is by trying it, trying, trying an avenue and seeing if that works or doesn't. I think we often forget the science part of data science. Yeah, it's an experiment. It's, it's, it's funny you say about um, touching on you know, why do they feel like that. Um, and when we were just saying about people sort of recoil from, from you know, the output, the dashboard, the report, and go, well, yeah, okay, but the numbers aren't right. Um, I, I was talking to a, a, a guy who worked for our sort of direct client, and one of the reasons they away from this dashboard that was being produced, even though the numbers were right, is because one day or one period, I can't remember whether it was a monthly report, they'd presented it and they'd got told to not use it because it presented the wrong picture. So that it was like them being told that they were wrong. And so the context for why that person wasn't trusting the numbers wasn't because they didn't really trust the numbers, but they weren't allowed to use them and were, um, I guess, directed to do something different. And so, again, you're sort of unpicking people's experiences of I don't believe the numbers or I don't use the numbers is is often because of you know, an experience that's happened. So they're not using them because the last time they did, they got told told off or told not to. Uh, and it was really quite in, interesting. Like, oh, okay, that's that's not the problem I thought we were going to have to solve. So now we need to go and educate upwards as to why they should be using that dashboard or that report. Don't you find, I think the phrase you've just used there, is why I find data so exciting. It's not the problem I thought I was going to solve. Excellent, let's try a different one. Because it's such a fascinating sphere that we work in. And I think that's what really keeps me excited by it because you, you never quite know what you're going to face. No, and I, uh, you know, as a, as a consultant, that's often quite hard because the end user or the end client expects the thing they ask for. And actually what, what we've started to learn and get get used to is it's exactly the words you said before caroline is educating the client up front this is an experiment we're not going to know everything we're not going to get everything right first time it's not like just your typical software development cycle as in give us a set of requirements and off we go because we don't know until we actually start you know playing with the data so to speak and getting used to that um we, we, we sort of work on taking a really thin sliver of the organization and just solve a really simple problem, but really quick. And then you can iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate. And just and then you that's the machine you need to try and build, not the give us all your data and in, in eight weeks we'll give you all the answers. It doesn't work like that. Um, 
Uh, and uh, the clients that have really embraced that way of thinking, we've seen accelerate their sort of data capability way quicker than, um, you know, oh, great, we've got a massive transformation program and it's all going to solve everything. So we've got a, you know, data like this or whatever. Um, data mesh was the new one, which being, I, I keep hearing more and more now, which is scary. Um, but it's, yeah, it's that actually getting people into that experimentation mode. One of the really cool things I've seen with um, uh, with one organization was they actually accept that the experimentation isn't just the data. It's the people, it's the process, it's the governance. And putting that as a wrapper and going, it's the full change piece that we want to try and get into this experimentation. So whilst we can do clever stuff with the tech and the data, I need you to change the way you you work. And we're going to change that way of working for six weeks and see how we get on. And that, that's been amazing because that really engages the end user. It gets them excited and all oh, that. What's the next thing we can do? And that's been brilliant in terms of rapidly evolving how they use data. Yeah. No, I can completely see why. Because it's, it, it's the whole, you know, you're not, you're showing them how to fish doing that. You're not fishing for them. You're showing them how to do it, but you're just starting off with a little fish. And, you, and you're also experimenting with people's perceptions and the culture of data as well, which is even more powerful because you're not just trying out a new technique or a new technology. You're trying out a new way of working and a new way of thinking about data. Um, so, yeah, that's a really interesting uh, way of going about it. Mm. And a very, you know, it, you can see what's happening. They, they kind of see what's worth the effort. Of that, if I did that and I got that, then I can try this next, and it it makes it real for them. I like that actually, sort of the recognizing the the value effort equation. Uh, that takes me right back to physics um, A level, and, and like you say, from an experiment point of view, you're not just experimenting with what does the output tell you, but what does the process of the experiment tell you? If that makes sense. Um, I think that's a really key thing because then you go, uh, I don't know, de- you know, DevOps. Well, actually, let's use this to experiment with the process of DevOps for ourselves as well as actually what it generates. And then we can improve the DevOps process. Yes. And what do we learn by all of that? And how can we improve all shebang? Very technical term there, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah. Well, that's. Um, that's quite insightful in terms of uh, the, the different ways you can then push that. Because I think if you get that right, the next stage is how do you scale it? And, and you know, do you have multiple experimentation teams and um, you know, almost squads running at that sort of thing? And I guess the, the key role, again, whether that falls into the CDO or a data leader or the office of the CDO, is how do you keep all of that in sync and stitch it all together so it ultimately results in the, the bigger picture. If I'm honest, I'm, I i don't care whether it sits with a CDO. I'm always driven by the outcomes. And if you can get that outcome by something that sits somewhere else, then brilliant. I don't think we should get hung up on that kind of thing. I do think um, you don't, you have to be able to have a leader in the space because Otherwise, it's too easy to get distracted. Um, it's you know using uh, the very highbrow Incredibles movie as an example, and at one 
the, the wonderful quote that I always come back to is, well, if everybody's special, nobody is. If everybody's like trying to do stuff, then nobody's actually trying to do it. It has to have somebody leading the vanguard. Yeah. Yeah, agree. And I heard somebody say, um, uh, yeah, actually, a good if you if you have got a CDO or whether they're called a CDO, you know, that that sort of data leader, they know they're doing the, the their job properly when actually it's all reflected glory. You know, nobody talks about them anymore because it's all the people in the business making it happen. Um, and that I think that's a great way of looking at it. It's like you're you're almost the um, invisible conductor. Um, and sort of I've sets. always said that a really good chief data officer isn't in it for the glory because if you are, you're doing it wrong because a chief data officer's role is to make everybody else look good. I've had an interesting conversation with a client recently about that. It's like, oh, it's so frustrating because this happened and this happened and I've been saying that for ages. It's like, yeah, but that, that means it's working because the business are finally starting to get it. Um, uh, and actually, you'd be bored if this had taken you five minutes, not not eighteen months. Uh, you'd have been bored. Yeah, he, he doesn't buy into the second one. He's, he's just by, just about buying into the first thing. <laughs> okay, so. he can work on that. I'm sure. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. Um, wow, we could keep going and going and going. I, I guess if you've got any thoughts, and I'd be interested in both, given the different roles, and, and particularly Nick, your view on what you've seen in the CDO space the last 10 days, really. Caroline, in your, in your sort of view at the moment, where, where do you see the, the next sort of evolution of the CDO? Um, I, was going to, I was hoping you were going to ask Nick that first. <laughs> so for, for me, I think the next evolution is actually all about understanding the balance between the risk averse and value add side of the rules. Because... Um, we went through the whole oh, AI is sexy, everybody jump on that bandwagon, which was fantastic. And then we came back to the whole, you do realize garbage in equals garbage. Um, and I think there's that realization that we need enough of a foundation. We don't need all the foundations, we don't need to boil the ocean, but we need enough of a foundation to make sure that what we're not feeding in is complete garbage. And so I think it's that idea for me of balance um, driving the outcomes that we need to support the business. Do, do you think that's, um, I guess, the role of the CDO to keep that balance in check and go, actually, that's less important or more important? Or I, I really do. And I think that, you know, when it comes to things like, um, you know, ethics are so intrinsic into what we're doing with the data. Um, it, I really do see sometimes the CDO being a bit like the... Um, the Jiminy Cricket of the company. I thought you were going to say Jimmy Savile then. I was like, oh, this is going to go into a very dark place. Completely like, oh, that's why I went silent. I was like, what's she going to say? Um, that would yeah, be no, a very I, dark place if I came up with that. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's a different type of podcast altogether then. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I like that. And, and uh, I guess that's the, the lever back into the business strategy as well and sort of providing that um that counterpoint to the, the, the business strategy and make sure it's it's keeping in step with that right yeah absolutely absolutely if, it, if it's not actually supporting the business the organization why are you bothering mm. um nick yeah the, the mention of jimmy savile gave you a few extra seconds there um what what's your, what's your view from what you've seen both i guess in 
in the in your day to day job, but also you, know, you probably go to as many events as me and Caroline actually. But um, what what other things do you think is going to change the landscape for for the CDO? And where does that where does that take the role? Um, I, th- I think we we talked about it before before we we started the podcast, um, and you know just being being at the CDO exchange and speaking to a few people, there was all kinds of uh, different levels of seniority, backgrounds, functions, uh, expertise uh, that were attending. So, uh, and it's this idea that to be a CDO, you don't need to be a chief data officer. You don't need to be a, a C-level exec- executive. Uh, you, you just need to be driving uh, the, the data strategy and solving those business problems and and and, and working with with the business and technology to do that so uh for, for me i kind of see see almost uh an explosion in new cdos that just aren't called cdos but they're they're playing that role i i think you're right and yeah it's the, it's the sort of bit that the three of us were talking about just before uh we, we press record which was which was normally be what the three of us are stood in the the queue at the bar i guess um but yeah i don't i i'm i'm seeing less cdos by name i guess but more organizations waking up to the fact that forget that it's an individual role it's what it stands for it's what it means it what it is what it gives you and actually starting to center that around you know two or three individuals or um actually encompassing it into an into an existing role and, and giving them that remit or um you know we, we were talking before about the different people you might find on the ground that have got the data skills or the curiosity i think the same is true at a senior level um one particular client they're actually an enterprise architect um so relatively technical actually but they are much more data savvy and data aware than anybody else in the business so the CEO has just gone, right, it's your baby, make it happen, and giving them their full backing. And I guess they're almost like a, a CDO, but not. But not. Um, and they work hand in hand with other people to make all the pieces of the puzzle operate. Um, so it's, yeah, it's quite, I, I think there's, there's becoming less CDOs as a singular person or singular role, but much more awareness of, CDO function, if you like. And as long as that gets organisations what they need and moves them forward, then brilliant. Mm. Yes. And, and I think that's where, back to your point at the start, Caroline, around the resources that are out there, the lessons learned, the people who have sort of been there, seen it, done it. That's where it's. I think it's giving them confidence that they don't need to just put the person in place. They need the team of people that can apply those lessons and drive the change. Absolutely. 100% absolutely. Yeah. Because that, that's what makes so, the difference. Hmm. Agree. Cool. I, I think that draws us to a nice conclusion to to get you to our three questions that, that we ask every uh, every guest, uh, which we've given you a bit of uh, a preview of. So you've had a little bit of prep. Um, me, and Nick, me and Nick sort of take it as a bit of a guesswork as to whether we'll give a guest um, much prep or not and see what answers they come up with. So... Um, if I go first, then and then Nick, you pick up. Um, so our first question uh, uh, that we ask everyone: If you could go back in time and uh, tell your twenty-year-old self 
what you could do to help your data career now, what would that be? Um, I love the fact that you give me a whole like four hours warning and say you give me prep, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think what I would go back and tell my 20 year old self is to not worry so much and stop copying other people and just be yourself. And I think that's not necessarily just my data career, but my, my career in, in, you know, across the piece. Um, once I stopped trying to imitate or be what I saw around me and just focused on being the best me I could be, then you can actually, you can almost see where that happened in my career because it took off. Interesting. Um, the the next question is, um, what one um, piece of training, learning or course uh, would, you, <laughs> would you recommend to anyone in the data profession? So would either one of you want to hazard a guess as to what the first thing I'm going to say for this one is? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to trying to guess. I can't, it's on the tip of my tongue, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be summer school. I can't help it. It's one of my work babies. I love it. I love the, it's one of the best parts of my year. Um, we've rebuilt summer school this year from the ground up. So it's doubled in size. Um, so the applications open 8th of April um, on our website. So I'm incredibly excited about that. But the, I have to say, in all seriousness, A, it's a fantastic resource and it is free. And we do encourage people to come along. But you, you guys have just said, you've just been at the CDO Exchange. One of the wonderful things that I love about the data community that we're all part of is how open we are to sharing. So um, for me, the networking, the attending events, the conferences, the talking to like-minded professionals, listening to them on LinkedIn, that's where a lot of my learning still comes from. Yeah, and, and I still speak to some of the other people on the CDA Summer School um, through LinkedIn and, and various different things. So it's it's not just those, um, those six weeks um, uh, it, it's you know you build connections and uh, and things like that 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 you can carry on tapping into. So yeah, it was it was great. So it's not necessarily one way of learning, but actually getting out there and being part of the community. I would definitely recommend to anybody who wants to become more in their data profession. So it sounds like you've actually been on a physical summer school as a teenager, and you've now got. Your pen pals across the world, your your date your data pen pals. So the community is amazing. The community from summer school, I I absolutely love it. Walking into a conference, and I get like alumni walking up and went, "Oh, I was on the 2018. I was on the 2020." <laughs> you know, I I'm like a proud parent. I couldn't be any happier. I can imagine like you just um, carrying like a, a yearbook of photos just so you can remember all the people that have been through it. <laughs> With my memory, it probably would help. It's probably. Oh, yeah, so there's probably, well, they'll be getting too, too many for you to remember individually, I, I suspect. Um, so our last question, um, if you could sit down with anyone in data, uh, we always say dead or alive, and, and people come up with some quite quite funny ones that are dead, um, to chat to during uh, an episode of the Data Podcast, who would you want to meet? Uh, and we, what we do say is this, this can be, from a data point of view, a tenuous link, if you like, but... Um, sort of anybody that you think inspirationally uh, would, would be a good guest? 
saw it a very tenuous link to data, I'm guessing. However, um, it, funny enough, somebody was asking me about, you know, like a hero or heroine earlier. Mm. I'd love to talk to Einstein. I just, and I know it's a very tenuous link when it comes to data, but the reason why I would love, apart from um, the size of that man's brain, <laughs> is the way that he could translate some really quite complex ideas into something relatable. He told stories with data. Mm. And for that, um, you know, a lot of the quotes we use, we still use in every day that, that he came up with. So apart mm. from, you know, the whole, what he brought to the scientific community, uh, I just find that fascinating, the ability to do that. I think my brain would hurt and probably just pour out of my ears if I spoke to something like that. Oh, I'm absolutely sure my brain would crawl out my left ear and try and hide in the corner, but I would like to listen to it. Cool. Um, well, thank you very much. I'm surprised we've not had anybody like Einstein or, or that type of scientific alumni uh, mentioned uh, before, actually. So um, thank you for that. Um, it has been a pleasure as always, Caroline. Um, it has been too long since we last did this, and uh, at least last time it was physically sat. I think it was in a coffee shop, actually, not, no alcohol uh, last time. So, Yeah, we'll um, let the side down there next in, time. Yeah, I think it was about half ten in the morning, so it might, might have been a little inappropriate. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's been great having you on. Um, thank you very much. No, it's been lovely, lovely talking to you both. Thank you for having me.